We are this morning uh, going to continue a series we began last week on kingdom parables. And uh, we talked last week about how uh, the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite topic. Uh, he, he, he talked about it more than salvation, more than sanctification, all this stuff. He was coming to begin something new. And when he told parables about the kingdom, he was painting, uh, uh, he, he, he was sort of having to educate people in a way they never had before because they came in with one conception of what the kingdom of God was and he had to radically turn that thing around. And sometimes when he did it, he used parables. And parables... Occasionally, he'd step, well, you know what, in parables, he pretty much always stepped on people's toes. So as we are examining the parables, it might be that your toes ache a little bit afterward. I want to apologize in advance, but not that much, because I feel like that's kind of our job as we come to Scripture, is to say, okay, how would he say this to us today? And uh, I don't know about you, but I am often confronted with things in the New Testament. I'll run across something and be like, oh, that's different than I think. Do you, any, am I alone in that? Like, are you guys ever offended by what you read, realize like I'm not maybe living up to this? Me and Jesus disagree on a thing. That's good. I'm so glad. We need to approach it with honesty. And then what are we going to do when we find out Jesus disagrees with us? Hopefully, we don't get so mad that we storm out. Hopefully, we're able to re-examine and then bring that to him. Because uh, generally I have found he's right. So <laughs> this morning we are going to look at the parable of the mustard seed. He put together another parable before then. This is Matthew 13, 31, by the way. Um, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. So here we have something very, very small. And Jesus isn't being overly literal here. He's using hyperbole. It's not the smallest seed in the whole wide world. It's the smallest seed that they use in the region. And it grows into something very, very big. Now, just like last week's parable, in this one, he also told a, a sort of a, a mirror parable. And here's how this one goes. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So in both cases, we have the kingdom being compared to something small and hidden that grows very big and becomes a blessing. Um, so we're going to look at this now. First, this, is, this would be a mustard seed. It really is very, very tiny. You could just breathe and it could disappear. And it would grow into something akin to this. Um, this would be a really, <laughs> it's really big. We're not talking redwood tree. It's a garden plant, right? The biggest of garden plants. But this provides shade and you can see the birds just like flying in there and finding all kinds of cool places to perch and sing you songs. Um, so it's very cool. However, the story in itself is a little anticlimactic. Let's just put together the setting and the kinds of people Jesus is preaching to here. 
he is going around and the crowds keep finding him. One of the interesting things is Jesus a lot of times doesn't seek out the crowds. Sometimes he's like, get them away from me. Like, he heals somebody. He's like, don't tell anybody, please. Like, Jesus is tired and all these things and they keep finding him. So he ends up, and we mentioned this last week, he ends up, the crowds come and so he's healing them and he's, he's you know, doing all these things he normally does and he ends up standing on a little boat speaking over water to these people that are just lying on the shore. He's got like a little natural amphitheater here. You know, sound carries very well over water. So um, it's this really cool little setting. Um, but these, these people that are around him are very needy. So it's it, those who maybe are impoverished, certainly the sick, those who are desperate. I mean, just think of that one woman at the time who is so desperate. She's trying to crowd around him and just touch him. Like this is, this is Jesus's, this is what happens with him. So it's people who are desperate. And as he is talking again and again about this coming kingdom, you have uh, uh, this hope awakened in them that they're interpreting in a certain way. And most of them are interpreting this as, 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 as this. They are oppressed by the Romans. They really are. And they want that to end. So when they hear about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the way they're seeing this is this new order that's, that, that's the kingdom of Israel rising up and overthrowing them. And that's their picture. This is why he's using all these other pictures to confront it. So that's what they're wanting, the kingdom of heaven. They want to see this empire come through. And, and Jesus says, you, know, you, like, you see them like excited, right? This is the way I picture it. This is the Hague version. Is the kingdom awesome, Jesus? Oh, it's really awesome. It's, it's super awesome. Woo-hoo, big, huge time. <laughs> it's a little Jeff Starr lingo for those who are. So they lean in. Is it eternal, just like David said? Oh, absolutely, it's eternal. Yeah, <laughs> sweet, I knew it. Does, it. does it roll over the opposition and grind the other empires to dust? Actually, it's better. Oh, the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That's it. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. No, it's not disappointing. No, no, no. See, you can keep going. Maybe Jesus explained more, right? He, 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 dug, he, he dug a hole, see? This farmer. And he put the seed inside. And he covered it up. And then he brought water to it, right? He irrigated and he brought water to the seed. Isn't this exciting? No, this isn't exciting at all. And then the sun beats down. And day after day, water and sun. Really? Yes, and it's so exciting because then it, eventually it sprouts. That's not exciting. And then it goes into this big thing. That's the kingdom of God. This would be a very disappointing parable. If you are excited about the kingdom of God coming and becoming this thing that you want it to be. Um, we have a black Nissan with the lights on east side. Just letting you know. The kingdom of God is like a black Nissan. Okay. <laughs> this is what happens when Joshua leaves. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Appreciate that. <laughs> they do appreciate it. There we go. All right. So there it is. The kingdom of God is like a seed. How? What? Kingdoms are not like that. 
Kingdoms don't work that way. That's not the way kingdoms have ever worked. But here is what he's saying, that the kingdom of God moves from internal to external. It moves from something like this and it grows outwards. He didn't say, if he was going to use a good tree kingdom parable, he could have said, the kingdom of God is like a cedar of Lebanon that was dug up from Lebanon and moved over to this new soil that took all the nutrients. That's not what he says. It's not something coming from the outside to the inside. It's something that moves internal to external. Now, kingdoms have never operated this way. If these guys are sitting and listening and they know their history, believe me, they're probably thinking about all the different kingdoms that have not operated like a mustard seed and have dominated them for the last 700 years. You have Assyria, for instance. Assyria by all kinds of secular historians and everybody is considered like this culture was so unbelievably violent that when the way they built their empire was not a mustard seed, believe me. They would come through and they would attack a city and they would kill everyone except for the ones they decided to make their slaves. Those people, they would put hooks in their noses and and go out and I won't even go into more detail because there are kids around. Very, very wicked and very, very... Uh, it's just cruel as can be. That's the way you build a kingdom. And it, it was the same with Babylon. And then it was the same with Persia. And then it was, it was the same with Greece. And then Rome comes in. And Rome, like, these guys, are the, they're the nicest empire so far. But in order to attack Jerusalem, they laid siege to the city and killed 12,000 people once the people gave up the siege. This is not the way you build an empire. And I imagine these people thinking, yes, finally, what are we going to do? Are we going to lay siege to Rome? And he's like, no, no, the kingdom of heaven is a seed, baby. (laughs) So, God's kingdom will not operate like those. Internal to external. That's the way it's going to be. It's going to go slowly. It might take a long, long time. It's true. The kingdom of God really was like this. We're about to get into Advent season, which I love. I know many of you guys love. Some of you guys love Christmas too much and want to start Christmas music right now. I see you, Donovan. I see you. We're not going to do that here. But, but this is the way. The story that we celebrate on Christmas is pretty amazing because the kingdom of God really did come like a seed, didn't it? Jesus comes as this tiny baby. And, 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 and it's just, it, none of, nothing about this is right. This is this new king. Like, isn't, shouldn't he ride in on the white horse? And like, you know, it doesn't happen that way. He comes in. It, it's, it's almost embarrassing how humble his entrance is. He comes in like a tiny baby in a small town in a tiny corner of a vast empire. He spent his first years as a refugee fleeing a violent king living in Egypt. Then he moved to the backwater town of Nazareth. He had no wealth. He carried no weapons. He bore no army. He simply had an unrelenting love for the people. And now that seed grows. So here's Jesus. The seed is growing. It begins in the hearts of the hearers from Bethany to Galilee, in the lepers and the lame, in blushing tax collectors and tepid Pharisees whispering truths in the nighttime hours. Seeds in the hearts of centurions, widows, and hungry crowds, weary but starry-eyed at story time. The Romans saw it all. So what did they do? They put him in the ground. Little did they know that's exactly how seeds grow. 
He appeared to his disciples first and then to others. And by the time he ascended into heaven, he appeared to over 500 people. 500 souls who believed he had come back from the dead. That's a small number for an empire of 50 million people. But at the end of the first century, there were one million followers of Jesus Christ. The seed begins very small and it grows outward, internally to externally, from heart to heart to heart. That's how the kingdom operates. And the empire sat up and tried, they took notice and they tried to burn the tree down. They really did, over and over again they did. They cast suspicion, they passed laws, and they persecuted believers, throwing them to lions in front of thousands of gleeful fans. But still the tree grew. And finally, after 300 years, something changed. There was a new emperor, and he reversed course. Let's do a little bit of history here. Hang with me. I'm sure you had a bad history teacher back in the day who was also the football coach and had to teach history, but hang with me, okay? <laughs> history is stories, and stories are great. Here's what happens. This young emperor, Constantine, as he is uh, <laughs> leading his army, decides to take a tactic he hadn't used before. I'm afraid I'm going to step on that. Here's what he does. He, well, he, he tells all the people that he's seen this vision. Here's, here's what he says he saw in the sky. This right here. The Cairo, as they call this. Now, uh, it's, it's very... Um, it might look like this super weird, trippy, new age thing. It's actually just two Greek letters. Chi, which is the thing that looks like the X, and Rho, which is the thing that looks like a P. Okay? Chi and Rho are the first two letters in Christos in Greek, which means Christ. Okay? So this thing represented Christ. So he sees this thing, he tells, it, he tells people, oh, I saw this sign, and here's the, he says, I heard a voice, and the voice said, under this sign, conquer. So, he puts the Cairo on his battle flag in front of the army. And away they go. And he, he, he has his men painted all over their shields. So his army watch, or marches then for a very confused kingdom. They were the kingdom of Rome. Now they're the kingdom of Rome Jesus very confused and the emperor ended up adopting Christianity as the official state religion. Now some of that might sound like a good thing and like there's, there were some good consequences. For example, the persecution of Christians stopped. That was good. But it, the rest is not so good. Uh, for example, uh, things got worse rather quickly. Um, that same century, this man came to power, Theodosius I, and he issues this edict. Now, you got to read this. This is, he puts us out for the whole Roman Empire, okay? It is our will that all peoples we rule shall practice that religion which the divine Peter, the apostle, transmitted to the Romans. We, sh we shall believe in the single deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit under the concept of equal majesty and of the Holy Trinity. He continues. We command that those persons who follow this rule, that means those in the Roman Empire, shall embrace the name of Catholic Christians. Now, press pause. That was the church back then. It was the Catholic Church. There was no Protestant church. Okay, so we demand that they take the name of Catholic Christians. The rest, however, whom we adjudged demented and insane, good grief, demented and insane, shall sustain the infamy 
of heretical dogmas. Their meeting places shall not receive the name of churches. And they shall be smitten first by divine vengeance and secondly by retributions of our own initiative. Which we shall assume in accordance with divine judgment. What happened to the seed growing internally to externally? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying we are now a Christian empire and if you refuse to be a Christian, then not only will God judge you, we will judge you with the full arm of the state. Okay then. This was the beginning of the church wielding political power and abusing the world with it. So for the next thousand years, the church was extremely confused. The church was wielding the sword. What? And oftentimes it was a bigger sword than the one Caesar had. Under the sign of Jesus, they perpetrated some terrible crimes against people God had created in his image. This was never the way of Jesus. This was not the way of the kingdom. This is not the way of the mustard seed. The kingdom of God does not steamroll people. It does not force people to worship. It does not curse them if they don't. It grows internally to externally. I know I keep saying that. I'm going to say it a few more times. Now, I doubt many of us today have, you know, bought a shield on eBay and are going to write the Cairo on there, right? And just like attack our neighbors who don't go to church. I don't think that's happening. If it is, I want to talk to you after the service. <laughs> Me and the chief, good old chief down in the police department will have a... But, so I don't think that we see that, but I'll, I'll, I gotta say, this external to internal, like, reversal thing really has become a problem in many places. And the Western church has really grappled with that for a long time. And sometimes it's been extremely ugly. Smaller, subtler ways that it's happened. Um, I think instead of following Theodosius, though, we've sort of followed these guys a little bit. The Pharisees back in the day. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees were actually, they, they, were, they had a good purpose when they started. They were the, the guardians of the godly heritage of Israel. They knew their nation was founded on <laughs> these like, godly stories, right? Like godly history here. And so they said, we are not going to let anyone take it down. So they end up protecting it. And then they, they add more laws to protect it more and all these things. So what happened, even though they started out good, they became strict and bossy to the world around them. And the problem wasn't so much what they said, although sometimes they said crazy things too. The problem, the big problem, uh, was, what, was what they did. They, they were trying to keep up appearances, keep up the external appearances. Those are the things they focused on. So again and again, Jesus would call them out, not so much for legalism, well that happened too, again, but it was, so much, it was more like you're not living what you say you're living in the first place. So here's a great example here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is from chapter 23 of Matthew. Hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may also be clean. Internal to external. You see, this is the way of the kingdom. In other words, you insist on external cleanliness, but you're going about it backwards. The kingdom doesn't work like that. 
the church in the West has definitely been guilty of this. We've uh, sometimes led with external cleanliness. We've sometimes pushed being right about some temporary cultural issue that everyone's going to forget about in two years before presenting Jesus Christ in a loving way. We've majored oftentimes on externals and pushed people away in the process. Now, I feel like I can speak with some authority on this, and here's why. Not because I have advanced degrees or whatever. Here's why I can speak with authority. Because I grew up in Tyler, Texas. The buckle of the Bible Belt. Tyler, Tyler is home to all these big international ministries, and it's home to more churches than, than, than there are coffee shops in Oregon. Like, crazy serious. Like, you know, they say, oh, there's a church on every corner down in the Bible Belt. We had two. <laughs> Tyler had, it was like 100,000 people and maybe another one or 200,000 people in the vicinity. We had like something like 600 churches in time. It was just unbelievable how just saturated we were in church culture. Now you'd think, oh, that's wonderful because everybody went to church and everybody I knew went to church. Every, that's just a thing you do. We knew the songs. We knew the, the, the scriptures. We knew how to look good. But I'll tell you what, for all of that stuff, like Tyler, it still had a very high crime rate. Very high. There were so many murders in our town. Goodness. And it still had like all of the things you'd see, teenage pregnancy, drug use, all these. This wasn't low. This was actually really high. So what in the world is going on? Well, we just had sort of this thing of here's how, here's how you look good. Here's the right things to say. The outside of the cups were very, very clean. And guess how much that mattered? Not at all. Not at all. Clean the inside of the cup. Now, speaking of cups, you're going there? Oh, yes. I wanted, I wanted a plain red one. They didn't have one. Um, so, okay, look. <laughs> Three years ago, for those who don't know why I'm showing this, there was a thing that happened. There was the biggest non-controversy in the history of social media ever. Every year, Starbucks, around Christmas time, they unveil their new line of cups. It just happened the other day. This is one of the new ones. Yeah, very pretty. Um, and uh, they, they do it, uh, and... You know, people are like all excited. They, I, don't, I don't know why people get so excited, but they, they do. And uh, uh, three years ago, instead of putting, you know, Santa on there, these little like, I don't know, this holiday kitsch, they decide we're going to go minimalistic because that's the design stuff of the day, right? That's, so they have this, which is very, a very sharp cup, just this deep red and the Starbucks logo. Very nice. And so nobody bats an eye. This is very cool. Well, there was one guy who has this YouTube channel and he really, really wanted hits. And he decided that he was outraged by this. And it was just so strange. I was so confused. I don't understand. So he makes this video. And he says, look at this. Another example of a company taking Christ out of Christmas. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> I don't understand. Because before they had been more explicit Christmas decorations, and now it was just, I guess that was the theory. And so he, he goes on this rant, and he says, but here's what we do. We're not going to let him get away with it. 
We're going to make them tell us Merry Christmas. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in, and this is what I just did. I want all you guys to do this. He's telling all of his followers. Go in, and when you order a drink, they're going to say, what, what's your name? And they put your name in the drink, and they can call it out, right? Well, he goes, I told them my name was Merry Christmas. <laughs> and so they made my drink. And they don't want to say Merry Christmas, but this time they said, Merry Christmas! And he's like, yeah! I was so baffled by this, and it starts trending all over social media. And honestly, I, I saw maybe one person and all of that who's actually defending what happened. Everyone else is like scratching their heads like, I don't even get it. Like, <laughs> like Starbucks is not a Christian company. They never were. They were never claiming to beforehand. Santa Claus actually isn't a Christian. <laughs> it's just so bizarre, right? <laughs> But as I'm watching this whole cultural phenomenon unfold, there's what I kept thinking. <laughs> Truly, this is the thing that's going through my mind. I cannot imagine a better and quicker way to make Pharisees than to tell everybody they have to say Merry Christmas. I can't even imagine it. Like, like if you want a Pharisee factory, that's the way to do it. And like, you are making money, man. You are banking in here. Because Why? What are we talking about? We're talking about looking good on the outside or looking a certain way or saying the right things while on the inside being rotten. So what good is it possibly going to do to get people to acknowledge even a, a, a holiday? What good is that going to do in their life? Because the kingdom of God, remember, works like this. You try to suddenly impose the right verbiage according to you from the outside? Is that going to build the kingdom? It will not build the kingdom. But we've taken these kinds of weird cultural conflicts and so many times made these hills to die on. And it's so strange to me. Fighting these external culture wars is generally just not worth it. This isn't, this isn't kingdom. This is getting involved in some of these scraps and I just don't get it. The kingdom of God moves from internal to external, but it's also a kingdom that blesses. When the mustard seed had grown, Jesus said, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I remember so many boycotts growing up in the Bible belts, similar to the whole Starbucks thing. And uh, I have no idea why we were boycotting things. But Whoppers, Burger King, mm, stay away. Pepsi. I remember we boycotted Pepsi. I have no idea why. Now, I just, to, to this day, I look back at these days when we're constantly in this angry boycott mode, and I think, okay, look, there's probably time for boycotts, right? There really are hills to die on. But I don't think there are that many. <laughs> Is a flame broiled burger really the hill that you're going to die on? <laughs> really? I don't even understand it. Now, you, this is between you and God, like these kinds of decisions, but I just don't think we ought to be leading with that. The king, this is not the kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God moves internally to externally, and even those who disagree with it, you don't shout those people down. You don't force them to say Merry Christmas. You see what I'm saying? The kingdom operates differently is what I'm saying. And forgive me if I'm stepping on toes. I'm sure I'm stepping on toes. I'm not trying to, but I'm sure that I am. I just think this is what he's saying to them and it probably stung them. So if it stings us, that might actually be a good sign. 
because the kingdom works differently than our Christian culture. And I think we need to reclaim it. And this is, this is the reason, guys, that in this, in this congregation, we are so, we're such firm believers in blessing our neighbors. We're such firm believers in loving our city. You remember a few years ago, we had this billboard. Joshua just really, he had this idea for a billboard. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. And so we did it and it was hanging for a few years until they jacked the price up too much and we couldn't afford it anymore. But it said this, it just said this. God loves this city, we do too. And I loved it. Every time I drove by, I'm like, yeah, God loves the city. We do too. Are there people in the city that don't like God? Yes. <laughs> the people that hate him? Sure. People that hate us? Uh-huh. What's the point? The kingdom of God grows internally to externally. We don't, we don't get by and, 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 and shout them down or try to make them be one of us. You see what I'm saying? The only thing that I can think that those boycotts accomplished back in the day, they certainly didn't lead people to Jesus. I'm sure of that. The only thing they did was drive a further wedge and create the us and them mentality. You see? That's the only thing. And so then it becomes hard to love your neighbor because you're like, I'm not going to love that guy. He eats Whoppers. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We're, we're, called to, we're called to be different. We're called to do something different. When I think of this parable, I, get, I think of Jesus on the cross. And I think, I know I'm allegorizing here. I don't think this is what the text intends, but this is just what I think. I think of how that mustard seed grew into a tree. And I think about Jesus on this tree and all the people who have found shade in the cross. All the people who can look up at that. I think of all the millions of pieces of art that have been created of Jesus on the cross and how he's captivated the world and how, how, how he's the most important figure hands down. It's not even close in the history of the world. He's the most influential. And I think of all these people, many of them who are not believers at all, but look and say, man, there's something about this Jesus. And I respect him. And look, there's something about him. And all of them come and gather in the shade of the cross. Many of them come to him. Many do not, many will not. But it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Do you see? Why do so many, you know, so many people come to him just by looking at the cross and they think, man, that's how much he loves? I want to follow this guy. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That's how the kingdom works. It moves from heart to heart. It never coerces. It never forces and try to coerce your children to love God, it's going to backfire, I promise you. It'll create resentment that you never knew was there and people might be able to just walk the walk and do what you want and put on a big smile. But that will probably drive them away from God, not lead them toward. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, whether we're talking about our children or our neighbors who already hate him. And this is what he's called us to. He's called us to be like him. It's pretty easy, isn't it? It's pretty, maybe not easy, but it's pretty simple. He's called us to be like him. He's called us to play the long game. It takes a while for it to grow, doesn't it? And I know we want to help push it along. Let's get the right lingo in there. Yeah, let's work in some, some more. Maybe we work in some t-shirts. Maybe we can work in some, we can, we can do it. We can speed it up, but you can't speed it up. You can't do it like that. You have to let it grow. You have to water with kindness. You have to give secure relationship and safety and vulnerability and love. 
That's what he does and that's what we're called to. He plays the long game, friends. He plays the long game and he's called us to play the long game too. Can we do it? Let's stand together.